0: Hey, Powerhouse, I have a very special invitation just for you. I would love to invite you to the Powerhouse Lawyers Retreat happening September 27th through October 1st in beautiful Ocean Isle, North Carolina. The Powerhouse Lawyers Retreat is a life-changing experience that every single woman in law not only deserves, but needs. It's a four-night getaway in a luxurious oceanfront home with all of your needs taken care of in a house full of other powerhouse women who want the exact same things as you. It's more than a mastermind and more than a community and more than just networking connections. Powerhouse Lawyers Retreat is like nothing that's ever been done before in the legal profession. The only words that I can come up with to describe it are life-changing. And if you don't believe me, just ask any of the past attendees who describe it as lightning in a bottle. One of the best experiences of their life, changing the entire trajectory of their career, and a solid depreciation point between life before and after the retreat. One thing is for sure, your life and you will never be the same. So come join us September 27th through October 1st in Ocean Isle Beach, North Carolina. Spots are limited, so go grab yours. Head on over to com slash powerhouse hyphen lawyer hyphen retreat. See you there. He recruits the smart females and then harasses the hell out of them and treats them like shit. And the school knew this. Are you an ambitious attorney who wants to build a life and career that you cannot wait to wake up for? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Powerhouse Lawyers, a podcast for the powerhouse in each of us. I'm your host, Erin Gerner, a former lawyer, wife, mom, and life coach. And I am on a mission to empower women in the law to define success on their terms by leveraging their unique superpowers to help them win in both law and life. Join me each week to hear inspiring stories, real talk, and the practical tips you need to redefine the toxic narratives that are keeping women overwhelmed trying to do it all. You are worthy and capable of building a life and career that you have always wanted, and I'm here to empower you along the way. So if you're ready to practice law differently, let's go. Hello, beautiful powerhouse attorneys. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Erin Gurner, and I am so excited to talk to our guest today. This powerhouse is changing the legal game. She is one of these women who is so tenacious and refuses to take no for an answer and is just really going to be such a powerhouse and such an asset for women in the law. And I'm just so excited to have Elisa Schatzman on the show. She is the president and founder of the Legal Accountability Project. That's a nonprofit aimed at ensuring that law clerks have a positive clerkship experience while extending resources and support to those who do not. In March 2022, Aliza submitted her written testimony for a House Judiciary Subcommittee hearing about the lack of workplace protection in the federal judiciary, detailing her personal experience with gender discrimination, harassment, and a retaliation by a former D.C. judge in order to advocate for Judiciary Accountability Act, the legislation that would extend Title VII protections to judiciary employees and law clerks. And she now regularly writes and speaks about judicial accountability. And I am honestly just so thrilled that you are doing this work and so thrilled that you are on the show. Welcome.
1: Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for that introduction.
0: Amazing. Okay. So That was a lot, maybe a little Reader's Digest version about you, but I would love to know how you got to where you are. Tell us, start us from the beginning, why you went to law school, how you ended up founding the Legal Accountability Project, all the
1: things. Tell us the deets. That's such an enormous question. So I went to law school because I wanted to be a reproductive rights litigator. I wanted to be a trial attorney at Planned Parenthood. As an undergrad at Williams College, I did a couple different internships at the National Women's Law Center and Planned Parenthood, and I was just really galvanized by the stories that I heard. I think I've always had a strong sense of moral outrage, particularly on injustices affecting women. So I went to WashU Law, from which I graduated in 2019, and pretty early in my law school career, I got the prosecutor bug. Decided that I wanted to be a homicide prosecutor in the DC U.S. Attorney's Office. So I did four different DOJ internships to get a breadth of criminal law experience, and then I decided to clerk in D.C. Superior Court during the 2019-2020 to 2020 term, the jurisdiction where I intended to practice law. And for anybody who doesn't know, a clerkship is when a new attorney spends a year or two working closely with and learning from a judge and there are many benefits to clerking, but unfortunately, the messaging around clerkships on law school campuses, including at my alma mater, WashU Law, is just uniformly positive. The messaging is that you'll develop a lifelong mentor-mentee relationship with the judge for whom you clerk. The position will confer only professional benefits. It's really considered a necessary checkbox or a gold star, a requisite for many legal jobs, certainly the jobs I was applying for. So I was instructed by my law school to apply broadly, meaning across the U.S., across the political spectrum, except the first clerkship I was offered. I imagine this resonates with lots of former clerks. So I did all those things and started this clerkship really just intending to launch my career as a prosecutor. Unfortunately, that did not happen. So beginning just weeks into this clerkship, the judge for whom I clerked began to harass me and discriminate against me because of my gender. He would kick me out of the courtroom and tell me that I made him uncomfortable and that he just felt more comfortable. My male co-clerk, he told me I was aggressive, nasty, bossy, that I had personality issues. The day I found out that I passed the DC bar exam, so big day in any young attorney's life, he called me into his chambers, got in my face and said, you're bossy. And I know bossy because my wife is bossy. And I just remember being so devastated, crying on the walk to work, crying myself to sleep at night. I wish I could be reassigned to a different judge for the remainder of the clerkship, which was supposed to last a year. My workplace in the D.C. courts did not have an employee dispute resolution plan that might have enabled me to be reassigned. I confided in some attorney mentors who advised me to stick it out, so I tried. Eventually, we transitioned to remote work during the pandemic. March 2020, I moved back to Philly to stay with my parents and work remotely. And the judge basically ignored me for six weeks. Calls, texts, emails went unanswered. And then he called me up in late April 2020 and told me he was ending my clerkship early because I made him uncomfortable and lacked respect for him. And then he hung up on me. So I called DC Courts HR. And they told me there was nothing they could do because HR doesn't regulate judges, that judges and law clerks have a unique relationship. Then they asked me whether I knew that I was an at-will employee. Then I reached out to my law school to WashU Law, seeking advice, support, found out this judge had a history of harassing his clerks, that law school officials, including several professors and the clerkship's director, who still works at (laughs) WashU... knew about at the time I'd accepted the clerkship, decided not to share that important information with me, presumably because they wanted another WashU law student to clerk. So this was all obviously really devastating, took me about a year to get back on my feet. I applied and interviewed for jobs, but questions were asked about why the clerkship ended early and why the judge wasn't listed as a reference. I drafted a judicial complaint that I planned to file, but wanted to wait till I had a new job because I was already worried in the back of my mind this judge would retaliate against me, I eventually secured my dream job in the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, and I moved back to D.C. in the summer of 2021, intending to put all this behind me. So I was two weeks into training. I'd already started working there when I received some really devastating news that altered my life. I was told the judge had made negative statements about me during my background investigation, that I wouldn't be able to obtain a security clearance, and that my job offer was being revoked. I remember crying on the phone with USAO leadership, D.C. courts leadership. Nobody would tell me what the judge had said. They just said the decision was final. I didn't have the opportunity to dispute this negative reference, even though enormous decisions were being made about the course of my legal career. So I filed a judicial complaint with the D.C. Commission on Judicial Disabilities and Tenure, hired attorneys, and in the summer and fall of 2021, participated in the investigation into the now former judge. We were partway through that investigation when I found out he was on administrative leave pending an investigation into other misconduct at the time he'd filed the negative reference. The USAO really was never alerted to those circumstances. In January, 2022, pursuant to the terms of our private settlement, the former judge issued a clarifying statement addressing some but not all of his outrageous claims. But by then the damage had been done and had been way too long. And I was pretty much blackballed from what I thought was my dream job. And now I talk about this regularly in my work at the Legal Accountability Project. And what I always seek to underscore is that my clerkship experience is not rare, but it is one that is rarely shared publicly due to the culture of silence and fear surrounding the judiciary, one of deifying judges and disbelieving law clerks. And it is that culture of silence that is perpetuated on law school campuses that enables what happened to me to happen to other law clerks who suffer in silence.
0: Wow. I first just want to start off by saying that I am so sorry that happened to you, but I truly believe that the pain is the purpose and the season of setback is actually the season for the setup. And I wholeheartedly believe that. And I just want to commend you on this podcast and whoever is listening for standing the hell up for yourself and for your worth and for the career that you work damn hard to earn. And so I just, first of all, want to commend you for that. I didn't do a judicial clerkship, so I don't have any personal experience around this. Talk to me about the judicial clerkship process, why it is important for law schools and why there is so little information out there, which I'm, obviously we'll get to why you founded your organization, but explain that a little bit to the people who don't have a full understanding of a clerkship.
1: So law schools and the judiciary are really closely intertwined. And while those relationships benefit law school deans and faculty members, they often do not benefit students. Law schools have expressed that the clerkship application process is their express purview. And I think that is a problem. When you get to law school, starting 1L fall, you will receive messaging that you should clerk, that this will be an enormously beneficial experience. And in many cases, it is. You get a crash course in trial lawyering. You assist with judicial decision making. You get writing and research experience. It is all those things. But it is also a work environment that is particularly conducive to mistreatment in the worst of circumstances. Law clerks are exempt from Title Seven. There is an enormous power disparity between judge and clerk that makes it enormously difficult to speak out in the face of mistreatment. Judges have incredible power over their former clerk's careers and reputations. A lukewarm, let alone negative reference can destroy a clerk's career. And judges are really rarely held accountable for misconduct. And those things are just not shared. So while law schools, the higher ranked and better resourced ones, may get more students clerkships. I'm always careful to say that those are not the schools that are doing the best job of ensuring a positive clerkship experience. I speak with a lot of law students and I'll say, so you want a clerk? Fantastic. How would you avoid judges who harass their clerks? Some students say they'd ask somebody, but who are they going to ask? Law school deans and clerkship directors continue to tell students to, quote, do their research about judges but well, what the hell research are you gonna do when no information about judges who mistreat their clerks is publicly accessible? Even the excellent mentors to apply to, there is just a dearth of information across the board. A handful of law schools really think that this lack of transparency benefits them. They fear that increased transparency will dissuade people from clerking, but that is not true. It is historically marginalized groups who will disproportionately benefit from increased transparency because they have unique considerations when deciding whether and where to clerk, including whether judges hire diverse candidates and are sensitive to diverse identities. But transparency benefits both judges and clerks, helping everybody identify a positive experience. A handful of law schools conduct a post-clerkship survey of their alums. Some, but not all, make that information accessible to students. But they understand that these do not capture the scope of the problems that I talk about. Because law clerks who've experienced mistreatment are notoriously unwilling to report that back to their law schools. There is enormous fear and distrust of career services. They are not perceived as the people to whom you would share this information. The backdoor, like secretive, fear-infused method of information sharing is something I talk and write about a lot. and It's called the clerkship's whisper network. But unfortunately, those with information about mistreatment are either fearfully whispering about it or not sharing it at all. The information about judges who mistreat their clerks does not get shared by those who have it. Former clerks, law school administrators with the people who need it, students.
0: Wow. I, I can see how that is so cloaked in secrecy and what a disservice that does to all law clerks, right? Because even the good ones are not Like, even the people who are going to completely, could completely change your life and be this amazing mentor you don't have any information about. So, you created the Legal Accountability Project. Obviously, this stemmed directly out of your experience. I would love to hear more about you founding this company. Is it a company? The nonprofit. So yes, nonprofit. Yes. Okay. I didn't want to use the wrong verbiage. I'm so just fascinated about this. And this work is so important because this is the beginning of someone's career. This sets the tone for the rest of their experience as an attorney. And my personal experience, my very first internship that I had while I didn't clerk for a judge, I did get recruited because I was at the top of my class to intern for this smaller, well-to-do like lawyer. He literally stood over my desk every single day and screamed at me. He berated me. He told me I was stupid. He told me I was never gonna be a good lawyer. The literal verbal lashing that I took from this man on a daily basis for the entire summer between my two and my three L career is like. Honestly, something I had repressed until I started getting back in to talking to lawyers. But what I did find out after, to your point, is that is what he does. He does that. He recruits the smart females from the class and brings them in and then harasses the hell out of them and treats them like shit. And the school knew
1: this. Like, I was just going to say, yes, yes, that is an important point. Is it? Schools have this information and they are not sharing it. And I don't know what your experience might've been like, or if you did share that information with career services later. But in my experience, career services tells people, stick it out, keep your head down. Most people just wanna move on. And I routinely encounter career services professionals and female faculty members messaging that even a quote, challenging clerkship euphemism for mistreatment is worth it for the prestige. That is just such toxic messaging. (laughs) That experience shaped the rest of my
0: legal career and how I viewed myself as a lawyer. That has got to change from a fundamental level and people cannot, you cannot treat people like this and people need to have more information and schools who have the information have got to protect their students better. So- Anyway, that was my soapbox about also being berated as an attorney, not as a baby, not near to the extent of what happened, but it just, I didn't say anything because I just thought that's how it was. Like, I was like, oh, I just have to deal with that because he's like a big time attorney and he's my boss. And so I have to put up with that. And that's just how it's going to be.
1: And I worry there are people still perpetuating that. And some of them are women. Women who think I went through it, so you should endure it too. That is trash messaging as well.
0: (laughs) And that's why I love meeting women like you. And like, I'm not even going to age myself, but (laughs) you are new, fresh blood at the very beginning of this experience, reshaping it, rewriting the narrative for women, for all law clerks, male or female, for that matter, reshaping the narrative around this process. And that is so neat. This is how change happens. It's one attorney. Looking back, grabbing their fellow attorney's hand and saying, "Come along with me. There's a different and better way." So, Definitely. tell me about your nonprofit. This is amazing.
1: Thank you. So, when I was going through the judicial complaint process in the summer of 2021, I became aware of the Judiciary Accountability Act, or J.A. That is legislation that would extend Title VII protections to judiciary employees, including law clerks and federal public defenders. Currently, the judiciary is exempt from Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. So, folks like me. With experiences like mine, cannot sue our harassers and seek damages for harms done to our lives. So I reached out to House and Senate offices involved with that legislation to advocate for its passage and to share my experience. And when a House Judiciary hearing happened in March 2022, I submitted written testimony to advocate for the legislation. And in the weeks following it, I began to think about some ideas to further my advocacy work on behalf of law clerks. I pretty quickly identified that law schools are both one of the big problems and the ideal vectors for change. So I started reaching out to clerkship directors and deans to talk about resources aimed at helping students identify judges who mistreat their clerks and really discovered that whether you work at a highly ranked, highly resourced school or a regional school, there is just a dearth of information about judges as managers and clerkship experiences. And as I continue to interface with law schools, they are doing all kinds of crazy things with the information they have about judges. I receive outreach from students and clerks who say things like, yeah, the clerkship's director knows about mistreatment, but she doesn't take notes in our conversation. She keeps it all in her head. Or clerkship directors tell me, I withhold information about judges who mistreat their clerks from students. It's none of their business. Or one clerkship director told me, We're blessed to work with only good judges. All our alums have a positive clerkship experience. And then my law school's deans told me, it is our official policy not to warn students about judges who harass their clerks. Wow. So I hold in all kinds of crazy stuff that these law schools say to me. It's bad. The landscape is bad. There are a handful of excellent clerkship directors and deans, and they should be spotlighted for their forward thinking and the fact that they are working really productively with me but we need to raise the bar on clerkship advising on every single freaking law school campus. Nobody is doing an adequate job of ensuring positive experiences because clerks are harassed every single year from every single school and nothing changes year after year. So I decided to launch the nonprofit last June, so a year ago. And I really think of LAP as the resource I wish existed as a WashU law student applying for a clerkship a law clerk experiencing mistreatment and unsure where to turn for help, and then a former clerk engaging in the formal judicial complaint process. We use public education, advocacy, and innovative legal technology to democratize information about judges and clerkship experiences to ensure that law students and new attorneys have as much information about as many judges as possible before they make what's clearly a really important career decision, considering the outsized influence that a clerkship and a relationship with a judge are going to have on their future career success. Our centralized clerkships database is the vector for this change. We have created a post-clerkship survey that asks a variety of questions students want to know before clerking. Mistreatment is one category of information we ask about in a way law schools just troublingly are unwilling to ask about (laughs) But there's other stuff you might want to know before clerking. How does the judge provide feedback? Do I get writing experience, courtroom experience? What's judges' relationship like with their current clerks? Can I take vacation? Like normal stuff you might want to know. Stuff you'd probably get to know if you pursued other private or public sector employment. But because it's the judiciary, we just don't get to know it right now. So we are sending out our post-clerkship survey to former clerks via email. They create an account with LAP, and then they can submit a survey anonymously if they choose. They're not anonymous to LAP, but they can be anonymous to the world. And then they submit the survey. It's a subscription model. So law schools will pay $5 per student per year based on total JD enrollment. And in exchange, students at participating law schools can read all the surveys. But so importantly why this is better than anything a law school could ever do internally. They don't just read their alum surveys, which is the existing model. You go to a well-resourced school, you get some info about judges, you don't, you just won't. Rather, they can read the surveys of everybody who's contributed to this database. This is, based on my personal experience and my conversations with more than 70 law schools, the best way to ensure positive clerkship experiences and to diversify the clerkship applicant pool. Because it is historically marginalized groups, women, non white, LGBTQ, and first gen folks who disproportionately lack access to the formal networks and information channels that are helping some of their peers get clerkships. And what we are already seeing is that the centralized nature of the database, the option to submit a survey anonymously, are just vastly increasing the breadth and candor of information accessible to students and to clerkship advisors assisting with their applications. We are bringing transparency diversity and accountability to a just really troublingly opaque system that has resisted standardization for decades.
0: Incredible.
1: So I'm assuming there's probably been a mixed response
0: from law schools. Obviously. Yes, <laughs> um, that's a good assumption. They yeah, are yeah. a mixed bag. <laughs> so what have been some of the positive responses? What have been some of the negative responses? And what is this is obviously a threefold question. We love to ask multiple, don't we?
1: I also want to know what the participants' feedback has been. Yeah. So in conjunction with the launch of the nonprofit, this past school year, I did a lot of law school programming. So I visited close to 30 schools to share my experience, talk about the scope of the problem, and propose solutions, including our resources. And we were just able to galvanize students' support nearly everywhere. And it was really important for me to go there and meet with the administration so they could understand what I'm doing understand that I'm not antagonizing any law schools, not dissuading anybody from clerking. So it was important to be everywhere, even at some of the challenging schools. The best initial feedback I get is from deans and clerkship directors who say that I have changed the messaging, changed the programming around clerkships on their campuses, which is incredibly gratifying. And there are folks who say that I've really solved an, an enormous problem in the legal community. So those are our positive responses. And law schools are cautious. And, you know, also, I am very careful about what I say publicly about who's working productively with me, but we are excited about those relationships. We are excited to have law schools involved with the technology and providing feedback on it. So that is great. There have been some negative responses too, as you can imagine, though we think we'll ultimately make progress everywhere. For anybody who has read things about my experience, my law school, WashU, is one of the most challenging and hostile, which is enormously disappointing. But there's a handful of schools that say things to me like, it's our official policy not to warn students. Got a couple clerkships directors telling students that I want to abolish clerkships, that I'm dissuading people from clerking, all kinds of crazy stuff. And it's troublingly me nearly all women who are these clerkship directors saying this crazy stuff, disempowering students? And look, in 2023, faced with the enormous headwinds you're faced with when you are a fresh out of law school clerk being mistreated by a powerful, life-tenured federal judge, if you are not empowering students, empowering clerks to speak out and stand up for yourself, you are disempowering them. And that's probably the most troubling you know, response I get, is these clerkship directors and career services professionals who think, you know, nothing to see here. Everything is fine. There's plenty of info about judges and most people just want to endure it and move on. There are still admins who are telling people you can endure anything for a year. That is also trash Why messaging. are we telling people this? Still, <laughs> Is this <laughs> advice? Oh, bless. There's all kinds of stuff that law schools are telling students right now that they need to stop telling them. Stick it out. Do your research challenging clerkship is worth it for the prestige. This is all trash and they need to stop doing this. That's the range of responses. Right now, we have the clerkships database. It is built and we are demoing it for law schools. We're collecting survey responses right now. So the response to the survey has been very positive. It is a thorough survey. It is not just a tell us about your clerkship experience. It asks a variety of questions. And I spent a lot of time Going through a lot of iterations of the survey with experts in these areas to ensure that we were capturing the info we needed to capture, in a way that was not putting our thumb on the scales. I worried that a handful of law schools that didn't even take the time to read our vendor proposal and review our survey questions, let alone look at the technology, were messaging crazy things that I didn't know what I was doing. That this was a mom and pop shop. This is basically raped my professor. That's all trash messaging that we have addressed finally, but we didn't get out in front of all of it, and that's unfortunate. And it's really sad to think that some students are going to go another year without desperately needed information about judges and clerkships because of their law school's intransigence, unwillingness to engage, and just choke hold on the clerkship messaging. We feel really good about our survey. We are actively collecting survey responses and Anybody can go to survey.legalaccountabilityproject.org to share their experience right now. That was going to be my question. Can you submit one just individually?
0: Just go to the thing?
1: So I've learned a lot about being like a legal tech founder. And one thing is the importance of pivoting when things don't go your way the first time. So when we launched, I expected, look, I always expected law schools would be challenging because you should ask yourself why somebody would not want you to have more information about judges and clerkships. Some of the reasons are nefarious. (laughs) With that being said, I thought they would understand that part of the partnership is you send out the survey to your alums because they have the list of email addresses, contact info for these clerks. Then in exchange, you pay a small subscription fee and your students get access to reading all the surveys we've gotten the feedback from some well-meaning law schools that they want to see me fill out the database with surveys before they send it out. So we have done that. And that's great. And look, I think some of them were just waiting for me to do it and are excited to engage. I think a couple in telling me that thought I would just go away. I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) I was going to tell.
0: I was going to say, girl, you're here to stay. I don't think anybody's (laughs) sending
1: you anywhere. (laughs) I think a couple of clerkships directors are still hoping I'll go away, but uh, <laughs> they're the ones telling me that they're blessed to work with only good judges. Yeah. <laughs> there you go.
0: But the ones that, and that's, here's the thing. You're not doing it right. Unless you have people who don't agree. If you're pleasing everybody, then you don't have something meaningful. The things that, you know, are game changers, the things that are trend setters that are rewriting narratives are people like you and I who are doing and providing exactly what we needed, what we wish we'd had. And we know that not everyone's going to agree and that's okay because the work and the impact and the empowerment that we're providing to females in the law is way more important than the haters who want to keep doing it the old traditional way. I'm curious though, since Okay, so I would love to know when this is going live. I'm sure you'll get to that, but I would also like to know. So, if whoever's listening to this, if they are going into a clerkship, what advice would you give them to be able to do any research? What do they have at their hands? What tools can they utilize to at least find a glimmer of information about what they're getting themselves into?
1: Yep. So, I'll address the first question first. So, we hope this will go live in the fall. We need to achieve a critical mass of survey responses to ensure that everybody who wants to be anonymous cannot be identified just because there's a lack of survey responses about any one judge. So we're collecting survey responses right now. We'd like to go live in the fall. It could be a pilot in the fall. It could be fully operational in the fall. It just depends on how many survey responses we get. So if you're a former clerk, you should share your clerkship experience with us this summer. In terms of advice... You need to be reaching out to current and former clerks. And as I say this, one of the biggest boulders I push up a hill in terms of my advocacy work is encouraging law clerks who've experienced mistreatment to share their clerkship experience with their law schools, with former clerks to reach out, and publicly. Because I think I have convinced many people that my experience is not rare, but I certainly haven't reached everybody And when people continue to point out there's a real dearth of clerks willing to share their experience publicly, that is a legal community problem. That is because the messaging is that you must stay silent. With that being said, if you're a law student considering a clerkship, you should be reaching out to current and former clerks. Former clerks may be a little bit more empowered to share candid information, but troublingly, not necessarily. I speak with former clerks who are mistreated who tell me I spoke with seven people before anybody shared the candid experience. But then a year later, when I came back and talked about mistreatment, they were like, oh, yeah, I was not telling you the full truth. That is problematic. That is really the legal community's fault for messaging that the right professional decision is to stay silent. But it's a big problem. So it's about reaching out to current and former clerks. Many law schools have a list of people they are connecting students with. Unfortunately, the people who are willing to do a lot of those conversations are disproportionately the people who want to say wonderful things about their judges. Those are not always true. And that is challenging. There are people who will put a positive spin on a negative experience, and I really don't think that's helpful. But that is what we have. Yeah. It's it's really sad. It makes me sad. We are in a clerkship application cycle right now. We're recording this in June, where students lack information about judges They are hopping a plane or hopping onto a Zoom. They are going to be pressured to accept the first clerkship they are offered on the spot, and they really just won't know what they're getting themselves into. Students routinely describe the clerkship process to me as opaque, nebulous, confusing, a black box. They may choose not to clerk as a result, but not clerking has career implications, especially if you want to be a trial attorney. And this disproportionately affects historically marginalized groups, including women. And mistreatment disproportionately affects women, though it's not all women. There are plenty of male clerks who are mistreated, who reach out to me. I think the
0: call to action on this podcast, I, if you have done a judicial clerkship, I want you to go to the website that we are putting in the show notes, and I want you to write candidly about your experience. We can no longer stay silent, positive or negative, right? Like yes. positive or negative. Please think about if your daughter was going to law school, if your son was going to law school and they were applying for a judicial clerkship, what would you want them to know? What information would you want to protect them with? What information would you want to empower them with? That is my call to action to you for you today is to speak up, to tell about your experience, to submit a survey on this website and to get in this game and to help the next generation of clerks have the best experience possible. This is the next generation of who is going to be in charge of the legal system, who is going to be churning out decisions and legal consequences for generations to come. Don't you want them to be the best, most well-equipped, empowered people, male or female? That is my call to action for you today. Please do these women and men as service today, whenever you listen to this podcast and make sure that everyone is having the best experience and becoming the best lawyer that they can be and not being told that I am going to jeopardize your entire career or et cetera, et cetera, or start it off with such a sour taste. I am so incredibly honored to know you. I am so incredibly proud of the work that you are doing. Where can people find you? How can people work with your nonprofit? Tell our audience all of the things that they need to know about what you have going on and how we can help.
1: So our website is legalaccountabilityproject.org. People can go there to donate, to join our mailing list. They can connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter. I'm very active on social media. And they can also reach out to me at via email, Lisa.shotsman at legalaccountabilityproject.org. We are hiring fall interns now. We are planning law school programming right now. We are engaged on all these law school campuses. And whether you're a student or an attorney, you should urge your law school to participate. Every law school can benefit from this database, and you should ask yourself why your law school wouldn't want you to have more information and not less about judges. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the show. Powerhouses, if you are listening to
0: this podcast and this episode and you loved it, take a screenshot, share it on social media, tag the both of us. If you have been a judicial clerk or you are thinking about judicial clerkship, this is your episode. Share it with a friend a fellow sister in the law, because goodness knows the more of us that are empowering more women, is it rising tides lift all boats? I always mess this up, but I'm going to say it different on every podcast. I'm going to make it my own. If you love this episode, share it with a sister in the law, because I know that you are the type of woman who wants to see other women win. Thank you so much for tuning in. See you next time. Thank you so much for listening into the Powerhouse Lawyers podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you loved this episode, I would be so honored if you left a review. And because I know you are the type of woman who wants to see other women win, be sure to share this episode with someone who needs it. By sharing it, you are empowering a fellow sister in the law to know that she is not alone There is nothing wrong with her and that she can build a life and career that she loves. See you next time.